The Garbage Hour is brought to you by Hefty. Or Glad, whichever trash bag brand gets to it first. I'll take it. They took her post off Facebook Cause some men thought it was rude But she still got a thing or two to say To all those shitty dudes here on the garbage out Don't take it personally As we smash the patriarchy here on the garbage, here on the garbage, here on the garbage hour. Hello and welcome to the Garbage Hour. I continue to be Megan McGuire. A very happy Women's History Month. For Women's History Month this year, Facebook reminded me how important it is to celebrate women. And then when I complained about it, a post showed up on my timeline reminding me of Facebook's community guidelines. So, good to know we still have this cute relationship, Facebook and me. But don't worry, Facebook, I won't say the bad words in the bad order, but I'll say them here. Men are garbage! <laughs> this week, we have a very special garbage hour. A new segment I'm going to call Trash Bag, where I take questions from fans. And by fans, I of course mean my friends from college. This week, we have some questions from our foreign correspondent, Heather, who is getting her MA in theater in London. England, not London, Ontario. In case that's what you were thinking. I met Heather my freshman year doing a play that had mm, shaky gender politics, but built many a friendship. No surprise, Heather asked some thoughtful questions and also wrote some great music for the show. Let's get started. Hi, my name is Heather. I'm Megan McGuire's biggest fan. Uh, no, I don't care what her mom thinks. And I'm going to ask Megan some questions today because I need answers, goddammit. To what extent do you think Facebook's policies and or newsfeed algorithm are impeding deliberative democracy by forcing people into their echo chambers? Are you in favor of some form of government regulation to counteract that? Ooh, okay. So we're starting off with a kind of tough question. I'm not sure how I feel about government regulation of Facebook or social media in general. I think it's important to me to keep holding these companies accountable. And I don't think we should regulate Facebook because I'm sad or angry that posts of mine have been taken down. I wonder, though, about it because of the role that social media has in the radicalization of young people be it ISIS or white supremacists. Both groups recruit and teach over social media platforms. Facebook needs to take a long, hard look at how their mission, which is to give uh, people the power to build community and bring the world closer together, aided a mass campaign to disseminate targeted fake news from foreign actors. And I mean fake news in the real definition of fake news, not the fake definition. So my question for Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and Reddit, I guess, though I've never 100% understood how Reddit works, is our priority comedians posting jokes about men, or are they groups that are radicalizing young people and the deliberate misuse of their platform? So I guess the answer to the question is, I don't fucking know, Heather. <laughs> hey, Megan, what do you think of men's rights activists? 
What a great question. I think I'm going to let Leslie Nope answer that. You're ridiculous, and men's rights is nothing. But I can also answer it seriously. Men's rights activists, as a idea, have the opportunity to be doing important work if they were looking at things that were actually oppressing and limiting men. These men uh, and this movement they've created could make bounds in redefining the strict definition of masculinity. The movement could act on behalf of black men who are stereotyped as violent and are dying at alarming rates at the hands of law enforcement and they're being incarcerated on a mass scale. Uh, men's rights activists could advocate for trans men and gay men who are continually being ridiculed and disenfranchised by society, but they don't do that. Uh, all they do is attack women on the internet, calling them names or threatening violence. Men's rights activists see the effort to disassemble patriarchy as an attack on them personally, instead of seeing how patriarchy actually might negatively affect them. I would be all for men's rights activists if it were about lifting the prison of masculinity and accepting a wider definition of man and listening to and advocating for all men, not just those who are straight, cis, and white. So I guess I'm not particularly a fan of men's rights activists, and meninist is a stupid term. It's not creative. Do better. What was your upbringing like in terms of political indoctrination? Because I think we all get that from our parents to some extent. How did that lead to your ability to be able to talk about these issues publicly now? Oh, an interesting question. Actually, in my political science class my freshman year of college, my professor had us write a short paper about our first political memory. So I wrote about the 2000 election because it's the first I remember being aware of politics. Uh, I was almost six, so I didn't really have the nuance of understanding how fucked up it was that the election was decided by the Supreme Court in a 5-4 decision. I didn't understand how fucked up it was that Jeb Bush was governor of Florida at the time and therefore in charge of the recount in Florida. I didn't have the capacity to understand the difference between the popular vote and the electoral college. Um... It's stupid, I know that now. I understood that Bush became president and I understood that my parents were pissed about it. And I understood that it was divisive. I grew up in a town with a lot of Navy families who were staunchly in favor of Bush. Um, it's interesting because my early political memories have very little to do with um, feminism. I mean, I think being against war and war crimes and against systematic Islamophobia is at its core a feminist belief, but it was never explicitly about um, women's rights. My grandfather was known for saying a lot of things, um, hubba hubba being the most popular, um, but one that sticks to, with me most is if I learned one thing in life, it's don't vote Republican. So I was generally a liberal snowflake from an early age. But the more specific area of my interest in uh, feminism and all things garbage man didn't come in the dinner table rants or the moveon.org articles I would kind of see over my dad's shoulder. My status as a feminist killjoy was from like less explicit socialization. I always noticed that my parents had an equitable relationship. My dad stayed home with us kids for eight-ish eight -ish years, I think. Um, a veritable Mr. Mom. Well, my mom worked. My mom kept her last name, and she, when she came in to volunteer in my first grade class, she had to fight to be called Dr. Poole instead of Mrs. McGuire, because it's not her name. 
My dad cooks more because he likes throwing everything in our fridge in a pan and calling it stir fry. And in many ways, my parents didn't fall into hard and fast gender roles. And that's something I definitely noticed. I remember appreciating the story that my mom didn't wear an engagement ring when my parents were engaged, and instead they bought a washer and a dryer. I also think I noticed things in elementary school and middle school about how boys and girls are treated differently and how they're disciplined and what they're allowed to wear. Like, I saw so many boys' underwear in my day, but God forbid I wore spaghetti straps to school. Some things were definitely told to me, i.e. don't vote Republican, but some things I learned by observation and osmosis, and then started coming out of my mouth as hard, fast political beliefs. I remember when I was like 12 or 13, I was in health class, and the teacher mentioned something about women being the primary breadwinners in some families. I don't know what we were talking about in health class that this came up, but this kid sitting next to me, and honest to blog, I would not be able to pick this guy out in a lineup today, said, that's stupid. I sat next to him, I guess, so I turned to him and I said, why? And he said, men should be making more money. And I said, well, my mom makes more money than my dad. And he said, that's wrong. And I said, no, it's not. <laughs> so it wasn't a beautiful example of political discourse. But you get the point. I had convictions about things other than Bush is a bad president, and I was voicing them, and I continued to do that. And I got lost in the black hole that is Tumblr for a few years, and between my observations and Tumblr and my grandfather's voice telling me not to vote Republican, I came to be the feminist killjoy you see or here, I guess, before you today. I've heard it said that freedom and stability exist as the two ends of a continuum. The more extensive the rule of law is, the more stable a society is, but the less free it is, and vice versa. Where is your ideal America on that continuum? Or do you think the whole premise is BS and we can have both? Ooh, this is hard, Heather. <laughs> I can see the logic of that continuum because on one end you have anarchy where everything is individual freedom and you can do whatever you want all the time. And on the other hand, we have like authoritarianism where everyone adheres to the same rules and everything is rigid and hella enforced and everything has a place and it's kept in its place. Um, so I am a mere garbage queen whose claim to fame, and fame is in sarcastic air quotes here, is calling men garbage on the internet. So I may not be the most qualified to say, but I do think that it's more complicated than just a continuum. Um, I think the presence of more laws does not necessarily equal less free. I think some laws, and I say laws because those are associated with stability in this hypothetical, I think, are enacted to protect freedom. Civil rights and voting rights, the 20th Amendment, Amendments 13 through 15. So it's not quite as easy as free v. stable, nor should it be. I don't think anything can ever truly be stable because things are always changing and everything tends towards entropy a little bit. I think that my ideal America adapts to changing times, changing understanding of issues and science and humans. My America doesn't say, quote, because that's what we've always done. So I guess I've kind of ignored your question and vaguely said why I believe in a living interpretation of the Constitution. How many more years do you think the capitalist system will last? Let's take bets. I'm giving it another 30. I've been thinking about capitalism a lot lately like 
obviously because our society is saturated in it, but also how society has given me a pretty fucked up sense of self that I as a human am not valid and do not have worth unless I am being productive. I have trouble just sitting somewhere because I feel bad because I'm not making money or making a thing to later sell. Also, because it's Women's History Month and uh, it was just International Women's Day, I've noticed how capitalism and capitalistic enterprises have commodified women's empowerment. I've talked about this before, but it became more marked on Women's History Day with um, companies posting their support for women and being like, here's 25% off because you're a girl. But the thing is, these are often the same companies that commodified women's low self-esteem. They're not woke. I feel like a fraud saying woke. (laughs) I don't know why. They just realize that this is the way that public consciousness is turning, and that doesn't mean that these groups are feminist. They just realize that we got sick of being shamed into buying their products, so um, they are empowering us into buying their products. So I've been marveling at how capitalism adapts to changing social climates, especially to get brownie points for being body positive or saying that women are people. Lol. How groundbreaking, dove. All this to say, capitalism is sneaky. It continues to make us, well at least me, feel like shit because I'm becoming more self-aware that it's fucked up, but I still, to some extent, need to accept it in order to survive. Even socialists need day jobs. So the fact that capitalism forces people to become complicit in capitalism to survive might mean it's longer lasting. Also, it has proven to be more adaptable to fast-changing times and social changes than perhaps is good. And because even though I know Amazon is evil, I will still blush a little when they wish me a happy International Women's Day when I log in to buy a knockoff Fitbit or whatever. So that's the glass half empty answer. But on the other hand, with the glass half full, for millennials, TM, it is harder to find a full-time job in our current gig economy. I think millennials are just fed up enough about being made fun of about avocados and cell phone bills and not being able to get health insurance to maybe start dismantling capitalism. I think we want health insurance and we want dental and we want jobs that are at least a little bit fulfilling. So I guess I give it between 30 and 500 years. All right, gun to your head, you have to fill one of the vacant positions in the Trump administration. Which do you choose? Between when I record this and when it's released, three to five more members of the Trump administration will have quit. And maybe one of those jobs is my real Trump dream job. I could yell at reporters like Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And I mean, just with the um, positions that require a nomination, there are more than 200 unfilled positions without a nominee to speak of. So I think right now I would probably fill one of the State Department positions because there are so many open positions over there. And I'd want to be like an ambassador um, because that means I get to leave the country, but I don't want to go to a country where like a lot of shit's actually going on. Um, Because I don't feel like I'm equipped to deal with that in any way. Um, So maybe uh, I see here that the ambassador to Ireland is an open position. So I guess I'll take that one.
I don't need to learn a new language. And I'll fit right in Megan McGuire. <laughs> that was terrible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> garbage, garbage. Oh, we got garbage up in here. And now for our weekly segment, Sifting Through the Trash, where in which I find something in my trash can more qualified to be president than Donald J. Trump. This is almost empty. Oh, can you hear that echo of my trash can? I took my trash out. Are you proud of me? Anyway. Ooh, a dead AA battery from my electric toothbrush. This battery is more qualified to be president than Donald Trump. And I think it has more power in it as well. But um. Thank you for listening, and a special thank you to Heather Grimm for her thoughtful and insightful questions, and also her silly questions. I'm not sure that I totally answered all of them, but they gave me a whole lot of garbage to think about. And thank you to Heather's professors for being on strike so she had the free time to commit to this. Um, if you'd like to participate in a Trash Talk episode, because I think maybe I'd like to make these a regular thing, send your questions my way on social media. I'm on Facebook, if you're my friend. I'm on Twitter, at Mjergen. I'm on Instagram, at Meggie underscore McGee. And I'm on SoundCloud, where you can like and subscribe, I guess, to this podcast. I'm also on Apple Podcasts. I have been for a couple weeks and didn't realize it, because... <laughs> I'm just a little novice about this. If you really like the podcast, rate and review on Apple so that maybe people will see it. Music for the Garbage Hour is by Sean McGuire and Heather Grimm. Uh, inspiration for the Garbage Hour is by Facebook's Community Standards. This may not have been an hour, but it was garbage. And so are men. Listen to women, believe women, trust women. Bye! Into the garbage, you fly boy!